Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine to five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Creative Income. I'm your host, Lars Lindstrom. I'm happy you're here. I'm happy you found us. Hopefully, we get a little something out of this episode. Uh, If you could do me a favor, and if you're new to the podcast, if you just found us, um, go ahead and and tell one friend about it, all right? Maybe just on Instagram, or maybe you're on set, or maybe you're doing something. I don't know. You're grabbing lunch with an old buddy. Just uh, talk about it one time. If you're getting something valuable out of the podcast, uh, this word of mouth is is exactly what helps the, the podcast continue, grow, go forward. Um, and it's a slow trickle. I mean, it is growing. It's awesome. It's really cool to check in on my little uh, Podbean um, infographics with, you know, like the the listenership and stuff. And it is growing and it makes me very excited and happy that it's uh, people are getting value out of it. This week, I've got Nicholas Humphreys. He's a director that I actually met on set in Panama. Uh, it's a bit of a wild story. I, I flew down to Panama, was going to shoot this movie, ended up uh, last minute having a director shakeup. Um, Nick came down and uh, we made this incredible film with incredible people. It comes out in September, um, September 29th, I think, so this month. Um, anyway, it was a really great time and I invited Nick to my hotel room to to record this episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, he's he's Canadian. He's a Canadian director um, and had a day job until literally like 24 hours before he got the call for this film. Um, so it's a fascinating story. It's a wild ride. And it makes it, it makes like a, um, I enjoyed that he, he had this day job for such a long time, was able to kind of use that to then break into the freelance world. And I do feel like it's worth noting, I didn't have any of my audio gear. I was down in Panama, of course, and uh, in my hotel room. So I recorded this on my iPhone. He recorded his episode on his iPhone, uh, just kind of holding up close to our mouths and we just kind of figured it out. So having that, uh, I did the best I could editing. So hopefully it's not too noticeable and you guys still have a great time. With that, here we go. Hey, Nicholas, thanks so much for being here, man. I really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your very busy Panama- uh, Panamanian schedule uh, to, to be here on my podcast. Um, why don't you tell the audience who you are, what you do, where you come from? Let's, let's hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, um, thank you also for taking time out of your busy schedule because, uh, you know, you're shooting this movie. Um, but uh, we wrapped early today, so it's, it works out. Um, yeah, my name is Nick, uh, Nicholas Humphreys. I'm from Vancouver, Canada. Um, I'm a director. Uh, I very recently quit my job uh, at Vancouver Film School, where I've been for 17 years. Um, started in the writing department as a program assistant and kind of worked my way up to running the directing stream. Um, completely gutted the curriculum when I got there and rebuilt it from scratch. Um, and uh, just recently had to quit because my actual like real directing gigs were starting to uh, be... Um, frequent enough that uh, I could I could sort of break free from teaching and just focus on that. And I definitely want to talk about that a lot, right? So it's like a lot of people listening maybe have a nine to five, maybe have a pretty consistent income, a steady job, and they're they're trying to decide what the point is to switch over. And I don't know if there is a def- definitive line in the sand, right? And it's like, and that's and that's what I, I want to pick your brain a little bit because seventeen years is a long time to be. At a steady job, receiving a steady paycheck, get your kind of like all of your monthly payments kind of lined up, get your mortgage right and and kind of have to eventually take that giant leap forward and say, you know what, we're going for it. We're quitting the job. So so talk to me a little bit about um, how you were able to become a director, direct films all the while having this job, first of all. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I started directing. Well, first of all, I never thought that like directing was something that I could do. I grew up, you know, poor in a small town in Western Canada. Um, Just film never seemed like it was something that would be available to me. And then when I started picking up as a hobby in like my mid twenties and was directing short films and stuff like that, I never thought it was something that would like pay the bills, right? It was like, oh, this is, this is a hobby. This is something I'm going to do. You know, if I can direct one feature film before I die, it'll (laughs) be this like huge accomplishment for me. Um, but that had happened pretty quickly, you know, how, like I, how it happened. I want to hear about the first, the first deal, the first oh, job. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, first of all, I, I should say how I got into doing the short films because I, I, the training that happened there really led to me not making 
big mistakes on larger things um, because I directed about 200 short films in like, uh, let's say six or seven years. I'm sorry, you said 200? Yeah. Yeah, so how it started was I got hired as the uh, program assistant in the writing department at Vancouver Film School. And at the end of the year, every student in that program would get a short film made. And so my job was to find directors and like we'd, we'd get like, say there's 36 students in a class, I'd find 36 directors, we would send them the scripts that had been written and then they would read them and rank them. Um, and then I would assign the directors of scripts and I would, you know, produce these little things. They were like three and a half hour shoots. Like they were like half day shoots, oh, wow. um, usually like two to five pages. Uh, and, uh, and that was that, but like, bless them. I mean, there was always <laughs> a script that nobody wanted to touch and I still had to get them made. Like my job was to produce them and yeah. I could not get directors to direct some of these scripts. So, um, I went and directed a short film so that I was a director and then I started taking on those shorts and uh, yeah, very quickly over about five years, I was doing probably three at a time um, every two months. So it just, it turned over pretty quickly. Well, um, so you're a teacher, but you're also directing these short films. Well, at the time I was like, I was like the secretary that also took on the producing of the short films. Okay. Um, and it didn't pay very well. I think I was making like 24 grand a year in that position. Yeah. And when yeah, but you're in your early 20s, maybe? Yeah, 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 yeah. But then my student loans kicked in after six months and I had to go get another job. But I continued to direct um, for uh, Vancouver Film School. I went and worked for a little bit as a production coordinator. I was, well, I was an assistant to some executive producers at a production company in Vancouver called Omnifilm Productions and then uh, became a production coordinator on a documentary series for them. That show ended and then I went back to school, did my master's. My master's thesis was a 10-part uh, web series. I produced the first five episodes and directed the next five episodes. And that was that was kind of a game changer for me. Because was that part of the program or was that what you wanted to do for the program? It was something that I was doing anyways and so I made it my thesis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm gathering a theme so far in your life, right, where it's just like, this doesn't, there's, there is no, like, curriculum, right? And, and you're just going to kind of make, make it up as you go? Well, this is the thing, is that, like, so when I did my master's degree, I had a directing class with a directing instructor, and it was, it was an okay class. It was fine. Um, but my, the thing I was looking forward to the most at the very end was I got a one-on-one -on -one with this director and this is a legendary Canadian director who's been directing for years and I get her for like an hour, right? Yeah. And I remember going in and she had her headphones in. She's like, ah, you're the last one today so we don't have to take up the full hour. And I was like, no, I have like a million fucking questions. Like, how do I go from being this guy that directs, you know, zero budget short films to getting hired to do movies and episodes of television? She was just like, well, you know, it's really hard. She's like, <laughs> I guess you could become like an AD on a series and then like work. But yeah, the, even then the show would have to run for 10 years. It's really hard. So I left that meeting furious yeah. because nobody could answer that question. Right. And I was like, if she can't answer it, nobody can. I'm going to have to figure this out myself. So yeah, I just, I, I kept kind of, kind of chasing it. So did the master's thesis. It kind of blew up. Like it was this steampunk sci-fi thing which was hilarious because we tried to sell it as a show first, like a TV show. Um, and then, but nobody would respond to us because we were just like a bunch of like film student kids who had never made anything. Yeah. Um, you know, we tried selling it to Space Channel in Canada because we thought, ooh, this will fit right in with them. And like, not even uh, thanks, but no thanks. Mm -hmm. um, we ended up talking to a junior development executive at CTV in Canada that said, you know, I can't take this to my boss because she will laugh at me, but, I've seen what you guys are doing and you're making really cool stuff. So you should just make it like divide it up into a bunch of episodes, make it put it on the internet, build an audience and then come back to us, oh, wow. um, which is what we did. And we, we, you know, initially before we even shot anything, we went down to Comic-Con in San Diego and we handed out like 60,000 units of promotional materials. So the world kind of came to San Diego, picked up our shit and then took it home. And then the following had begun. So by the time we launched our first episode on YouTube, I think it got a million views within 24 hours. No. Yeah. So from Comic-Con. Well, I mean, you had, doing... yeah, right. Did you have a booth at Comic-Con? No, like, we you tried just, to. You had a team. <laughs> we tried to get a booth, but there's a three year wait for a table. <laughs> So we tried to hop on a table of like some other people from Vancouver that already had one and they were like, no. Um, so we put a street team together that consisted of the producers, 
uh, a couple of key casts that we dragged down there with us uh, and um, a bunch of Australians that were living illegally in San Diego and we paid them like $13 an hour. Beautiful. Yeah, because everyone else was paying 10, so we are like, we'll pay them 13, right? So in the end, it was like a 10-person team that we put together, handed all that shit out. Um, and yeah, the buzz kind of began from there. And then when we launched it, um, I think we got five episodes in. We had created a, a huge buzz, but nothing had happened. So we managed to raise another, I think... First five episodes, we raised two hundred fifty thousand dollars in private investment. The next five episodes, we raised sorry, how much? Two hundred fifty thousand dollars in private investments. Yeah. How? Uh, one of the producers, one of the creators, actually, uh, his dad was a uh, radiologist. I want to say, oh my god, I think it was radiologist in Omaha, Nebraska. And so we started a little production company in Nebraska, and all of his like rich friends put money into it. <laughs> So just have rich friends, I guess, is the is the answer to uh, the thing. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, yeah. We'll see you next time. Yeah, <laughs> have rich friends. Got it. Yeah. It was it was very helpful, but no, no, but I, but I, everybody's got rich friends. I mean, like friends within friends, right? So it's just maybe not immediately directly. And I, I'm curious though, whose idea was it? Was it this this person's idea to like, hey, my dad's a radiologist with lots of rich friends connections. Like, I'm I, I want to know like what the conversation was to say, let's break the rules. Let's go knock on some doors in Omaha, Nebraska, even though we're Canadian kids, college kids trying to make movies. Like, talk, like, who had the balls to do it? Well, it was, I mean, one of the creators was American and was from there right. and was living in Vancouver. So yes. um, we just, it, it, I mean, this thing began as a short film. And, uh, you know, we took it to a director who said, you know, like, this is really cool. But you spend your 10 pages building a world and not telling a story like it's a cool world but like what is this about so that's the idea from there to expand it into a pilot happened and then yeah i don't know we just just asked and and these people were like yeah oh cool we can be part of a movie like yeah let's do this (laughs) so a million views in 24 hours yeah uh what happens so we released the first five episodes. We have all this buzz. Nothing's happened. Nobody's bought us or anything like that. So we shot another five episodes. And yeah, I produced the first five. For the second five, um, I had made a deal with everyone. I was like, I'm going to produce this. Like, I will be a producer on this. But they had a beat sheet for, like, all of the episodes of what the series would be if it actually went forward. And there was this one very dark episode about these like evil kids that have taken over this town. And it was like very horror-y for a sci-fi show. And I was like, if we go for it and this becomes a series, I want that episode as a director. And it just made sense story-wise to do that next. So we did another five episodes with that. I directed that. Um, and like, I would say a week after we launched our sixth episode, um, our distributor called and they had licensed us to the sci-fi channel wow. for distribution. So it went up on the sci-fi website and then space channel who we were contacting, you know, before we had made it and wouldn't respond to us, they recut it as a feature and broadcast it like one Sunday out of the month for like two years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it kind of, that was, did it cut well? I'm curious. How did, how did no, the not at all. No, it was, <laughs> you hated it. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't made to be a feature. It was d- definitely like, 10 episodes stitched together in my opinion. Um, but you know, whatever it was, it was that feature thing because what I always found that like, you know, there was many people that I talked to who said like, they could not like agents and stuff were like, I can't get you feature work because you haven't done a feature. Mm -hmm. You can't get a feature unless you've made a feature. So that was like the cheat code for getting a first feature credit was doing this web series, stitching it together. Well, now I have a 90 minute or a hundred minute, you know, piece which led to my first feature film interesting so that was it became your first feature and so you could say hey i do i do have a feature here it is or did you market that film at all or or was it just kind of not really as a feature because i mean even with my i think about how the first actual movie came together it was the same group of people and i think we ended up raising like fifty thousand dollars for my first feature but it was like very i mean it was very like you know that that indie like one location it was a cabin in the woods kind of murder mystery thing very similar to what we're doing right now actually really um but in like a cabin up on the sunshine coast and uh we shot it in 11 and a half days for fifty thousand dollars but it got it got dvd blu-ray uh i think it's on amazon you can rent it on youtube like it just it went everywhere it's been on super channel i think what's the name of the film uh it's called death to us part uh, and it's about a uh, 
like a Jack and Jill stag stagette party that goes to this cabin and like the characters are so awful that they just start killing each other basically. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely, lovely film. Uh, did you make any money on the, on the series by any chance? I did not, but, uh, I believe we made enough to pay back the investors and keep the production office open for like three years. No kidding. Yeah. By, by the sci-fi channel. Uh, and various – so what we did was we kind of divided everything up into different platforms and different territories because every distributor wanted like everything everywhere, right? And so – but what you do is you sell like the internet rights to Serbia, right? And the theatrical right? – like you just – you break it up to as many pieces as possible yeah. and then you, you make more money that way. Interesting. So do you still make money from that? Does it still trickle in? No. Do, do you own a percentage of that uh, – I get. I, th- I think so, but I don't think it's even on the internet anymore. I think it, once it came down off sci-fi, I don't think anyone ever bothered to put it back up. We should. Like, I think there's there's fans of the show that still follow me to the things that I'm doing now and support me on things that I'm doing. What was now. the name of the show? It's called Reese Kingdom Falling. Reese Kingdom yeah. Falling. There was a prequel novel that came out through Simon and Schuster. Um, there was an iPhone game. Uh, what? Yeah, it was like it was a crazy time. Um, I think what else? You say this, what, what year was this? 2008? This is 2009, I want to say. Yeah, it was like 2008, 2009. Um, Who taught you how to do this? Was this just, are you, are you just passionate about film and writing and TV and like, uh, who taught you that? Yeah, stuff? I like to think that I'm like, I'm both a sponge and I'm like very insecure. So I'm like, really like, <laughs> I don't know anything. Yeah. So if anyone has the potential to like fill me in on some knowledge, I will absorb it and use it. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, at the time we, we just jokingly called it like the shotgun method, right? It was just like, Oh, you know, Spray. here's something we're going to do. Right. Like I remember driving in the car and I would listen to uh, news 1130 radio in Vancouver, which is like traffic and weather. And I was like, they don't have any entertainment news. I'm going to write them a press release. And like within 15 minutes after sending the email, they called, I did probably a 20 minute interview with them and they played it like a two, a, a recut of the interview every, you know, hour for, and it was like a little two minute thing. They played it all day for like 24 hours. So it's like I'd pick up a magazine. I'd be like, "Oh, this has a this has a, a entertainment news section. That's the name of the journalist. I'm going to write their email down. I'm going to send them a special. I'm going to send them my press release with a special notice to why I think it would be important to them um, and why I think it's newsworthy, right? And people just don't do this, though. <laughs> I wouldn't do it now. No, I'm. Why? I hope you would do it now, because I guess what I'm what I'm getting at is that like. I think there's a reason you're successful and it's not necessarily immediately because of talent. Not that you aren't talented. I would agree. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because people don't just pick up the phone and call people and say, hey, let me be on your radio show or email them or cold cold email a a news journalist to be on the newspaper. I think you – I think, you know, there's a – a point in when you're when you're first getting started where you have to really promote yourself like your career depends on it because it does. it does and then you get to a point where you don't have to do that anymore because the shows that you're working on have publicists mm-hmm. right and so you get to relax in that regard but to like build some name recognition in the world i think that that's a really important part of like launching it i think making the thing and letting the thing speak for itself is the first step but if nobody sees it nobody hears about it then it's like the whole tree falling in the woods thing right like you just yeah. it'll disappear working at the film school i've seen some of the most brilliant short films that i've seen come out of the film school the students will just rely but well this everyone told me this is amazing so it will the audience will come find it yeah. you never they're never seen nor heard from again mm-hmm. right but the ones that go out there and actually like push it are the ones that you know they, they send it out to festivals and they publicize it and they get all the laurels and then it's like they get work afterwards and it's not necessarily the best filmmakers that have that success right it's like but you have to treat it like the other you know part of the it's like another full-time job right it's just yeah. like start to build your name in the world okay so you made your first feature film did it sell did you make any money back on that $50,000 investment? No, I did not. I mean, it made money. Um, who, who, who financed it? This, we went back to well, the... Back to uh, Nebraska. Bank of Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> back to the Bank of Nebraska. Yeah. Just a family of radiologists. 
God bless them. Um, no, I owe a lot to that that family for uh-huh. giving my start. Wonderful people, um, and and their friends that also contributed to it. Yes. Did they make Did they make their money back? I think so. Okay, I, I want to think so. I don't really know. I wasn't a producer on that, so okay. I was really like just kind of detached from the whole. Process. You were just a director. Did you write the, the show as well? Or, no, or, no, just no. a director. For just, it. Jumped on as director and directed it, yeah. And, you know, made some mistakes because it was my first feature and found it surprising how long feature films are. Like, it was a lot to keep the entire movie in my head. I admittedly didn't know where people were coming from or going to, and it was a steep learning curve. But, um, you know, it it got out there. Like, it sold everywhere we needed it to, so that was good. My second feature film was an adaptation of a short film that I had done, Mm -hmm. Um, which was, uh, it was called The Little Mermaid, and it was this, like... I think I've heard of that before. The Little Mermaid? Well, yeah. I mean, it's not <laughs> The Little Mermaid, but the short film was called The Little Mermaid, and she's, like, a circus freak in a, in a tent, and okay. ends up, like, killing her handler, and... Um, You're attracted to that horror stuff. Huh? I love should, the should horror. I be, should I be nervous? Like, yeah, you should be, you should be very, very I, invited, I invited you to my hotel room, <laughs> No one else knows you're here. No, this isn't yeah. live. <laughs> yeah, it's not live. I'm going to edit this. Presumably. If you make it till tomorrow. Right, yeah. right exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, and so, but it did really well. We premiered at Screamfest, at one best short film at Screamfest in Los Angeles. Um, first short film I ever made, they got paid distribution. Um, and so the producers of that short film kind of used that to raise money um, to fund a feature version of it. And they were really smart. Cause what they did was they brought in a bunch of people that uh, hadn't, they knew had invested in movies before in independent film. Um, and they put together the slickest pitch in the world. They catered it with like amazing food, but they didn't, they didn't pitch it to them. They basically brought them and they were like, we're going down to Los Angeles to pitch this. And as people who have invested in films before, we want to get your feedback on what we should include before we go and do this. Um, so they're basically bring them in and flatter them with like, you know, you people are smart and we want to, and like that, and then delivered the most kick-ass pitch they could think of. And like three people in the room were like, well, we'll just finance this right now. So that's Whoa. how they made the money for that. Wild. Were you involved with that uh, no. ideology at all? No. Okay. No. no. At what point, so do you remember what year this is, your second feature film? Are you, are you still, do you still have that teaching job? Like, yeah, yeah. I was teaching the whole time and I had yeah. to take two months off work to do that movie. Yeah. Um, so I actually lost money on that one because I wasn't getting paid. Like the first movie, didn't, I didn't get paid for my first two feature films. Gotcha. It's a passion one. project. You just please let me come direct this. I'll do it for free. Just, yeah. I want. I want to do this. I need the credit. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's another thing I talk about a lot too. Actually, is like when when to know the benefits of saying yes to free work. Uh, do you have any advice on that or or any insight on doing something for free and then transitioning into paid gigs? Yeah, I think it's. I mean, you have to. Yeah. What is my advice on that? First of all, what I'll say is like, be careful who you get into bed with on Mm -hmm. these things, because it can be a heartbreaking process if you get into bed with the wrong people. But maybe, you know, you're getting into bed with the wrong people, but it's worth it in order to get that first credit. Yeah. You know, so sometimes throwing yourself at a situation that's less than ideal Mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, surviving through the process and, and, you know, dealing with whatever the movie ends up being. Um, if that's, if that's something you think you can handle. And I think multiple times it was something that I thought I could handle. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I, but I think say yes to free work until people start giving you money for it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's terrible advice. Well, I just, I mean, cause it's like people are either paying you or not. Right. And it, for but, me, like I didn't get paid to my first, uh, or my third feature film, um, and it was like, for me, it was a big chunk of cash for big time directors it would be nothing. I think how, I made how much like, was it? Yeah. it was $30,000. Oh, that is, that's great for your third film. For my third film. Yeah. It was my first, and I, I was really smart about it too. Cause I had always been this like starving artist that lived paycheck to paycheck and suddenly I had $30,000 in my savings account. I was like, I have to do something really smart with this. So I went and bought a cabin five hours North of Vancouver, um, which I sat on for five years and it doubled in price. Yes. It more than doubled, and then I sold it after five years, and I was able to get into the real estate game in Vancouver. So now I own my condo. Amazing. I have a mortgage that keeps going up because I got a variable rate like an idiot. Oh, no. I know. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it was that, I, I was smart with that. But it was still a couple of years before I started getting regular work. Yeah, $30,000. So you put $30,000 down on that uh, uh, 
um, Cabin in the Woods. All in. Yeah. So, so, but then, so, but what I love about it though is that like you put $30,000 in, leverage the bank's money, right? And uh, a few years later, real estate market's doing okay. Um, how much money did you, were you able to make, like profit at the end? How, and how many years, over how many years? Since this, this is a creative income podcast, Absolutely. we're going to talk about some of those numbers. So I found this, I call it a cabin, but it was like a 15 year old three bedroom house mm-hmm. just, that just happened to be in the middle of the woods overlooking a lake. Like it was a beautiful nice. place. Awesome. Um, but I bought it for $180,000 uh-huh. and I think I sold it for three ninety. Incredible. Yeah. Five years later. Five, okay, so five years. Yeah. So you made payments on it for five years. So you probably, I mean, what was the monthly payment? Like two grand, let's say? No, I was like, I think I spent like about a thousand bucks a month on mortgage, heating, insurance, property tax. All right, so 60 grand. So you're $90,000 in and you make over $200,000 profit. Yeah. Yeah, probably, probably more than that, right? Yeah. So love that. So you more than doubled that money, that investment. Got into the real estate game. Now you own your condo. Obviously, the the payment thing's not super awesome, but uh, hey, it's yeah, yeah, live and learn, right? But this also yeah. ties into the the creative income bit about him being able to take the risk and break free mm-hmm. is because I only put in twenty percent on my condo and I put the rest of my savings account. Okay. So yeah. now I've got this like chunk of cash sitting in my savings account that I'm not really touching, and it it was one of the. I mean, it took a year for me to make the decision, but. That safety net, like I'm good for six months to a year, depending on how frugal I want to be, if there's no work coming. So that helped me to kind of like have the confidence to go like, you know what, I don't, you know, I think more movies are going to come because for the last three years I've been doing three, four, five movies a year and it's been trending upwards. And I've had to turn movies down because I'm busy doing other movies. So But if they stop, you know, if this wave crashes or, you know, there's a a strike, um, you know, like I can I can weather that. And so I think that's a big factor. That's something that I would say for me was important was to not, you know, be completely broke if I didn't get work. That's perfect. Yeah, that's exactly right. So 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 you made 30,000 on this first movie that you did. How long ago? Do you remember what year that was? How long ago was that? 2017. Okay, so not very long ago. No. Okay. And it wasn't so, until the pandemic that I started getting regular work. Because that's so bizarre. So did, did movies come to Canada from the United States that you were able to then book because of the pandemic? Or how did that work? I mean, yeah, what was it about the pandemic that gave you work? Yeah, so basically production shut down for a couple of months. There was this backlog of movies that needed to be pumped out. Particularly in like TV movies is, is where I've been getting the work. Because, you know, in Vancouver, they, they, what they would do previously, as I understand it, is they would bring U.S. directors and U.S. lead actors up to be in these movies to sell to American markets. Yes. But during the pandemic, it was difficult to cross the border. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody wanted to work on these movies, you know, unvaccinated for... And, and these are the lowest paid movies in town, right? Like you're making twenty twenty five thousand dollars for six weeks of work. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so there was a company that called me and they said, you know, like we have this thriller that we think you'd be a good fit for, but we also have to crank out this rom com or I don't know, I can't even call it a com. It was a romance film. Okay. Um, beforehand, do you think that's in your wheelhouse? And mm-hmm. I was like but I was like afraid. I was like, what am I not thinking about? Because I am not the audience for these movies. Like I've, I don't Why? watch them. Okay. So I had to like, like watch a whole bunch of them going like, oh no, that looks easy to me. Like that's just people walking into rooms and talking to each other. I think I got that. Yeah, they're in love. Yeah. yeah. And then I went in and I did the first one and I realized a, you know, maybe I'm not the audience for it, but I get a lot of job satisfaction because I can show up and be good at what I do. Um, it's just pleasant. You know, it's like, it's, you know, you're driving home and the sun is still up. Right. I love just, romantic comedies. I love shooting them. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it's it's, like, love. it's like, fun, man. Everybody shows up on set in a good mood. It's always bright and cheerful and sunny. And, and everything's pretty. Everything's and like, pretty. You know, never too much conflict. And, yeah. Yeah. So I just, I surprise myself by how much I love them. Like love making them anyways. Yeah. I love making um, them. I do. Yeah. And they just kept coming. Right. And then what happened was I met, so I, I built some relationships at that company. You know, some of my producers there moved on to other companies um, including the one we're doing a movie for right now, yeah. you know, and, you know, introduced me to the powers that be at that company. And so, you know, working with new people each time, as much as fun as it is to work with like people, you know, and love, it's better to continually be throwing yourself into like new communities 
and meeting more people because it just kind of, I feel like that's where networking actually happens. It's not in an elevator. It's not at a party. It's like working <laughs> with people, right? Totally. Making movies with someone. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so it's 2017. You got this maybe bit of a first break and you're still at your job. Now you're starting to get these movies and it's an exponential experience, right? So yeah. it's like the calls are coming more frequently. You're starting to turn down work. What point do you decide maybe and, and and I don't know what you're making uh, salary wise at your job now I'm, I'm assuming close to six figures right it's like you've been there for 17 years you created this curriculum no I mean, I'm gone now so I can say this they, they pay shit <laughs> <laughs> Uh, especially if you grow up from the inside, like if they're recruiting you from the outside to come in for one of these high level positions, yeah. you're going to get paid three to four times as much as someone who's like knows the curriculum, knows the politics of the school. It's going to do a way better job. It's just, it's all kinds of, Hey, make, make some movies for 10 years and go back and they'll pay you three times, which are, they're paying yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. No, or you just don't just keep making movies for the rest of your life. Um, all right. So talk to me about how you break the golden handcuff. Well, I think it's just like I didn't really know what what happened was. So I've been getting, uh, a, you know, averaging about four movies a year. And for a while, they were, they were pretty cool with you taking movies like talk to me like because that's the problem. Right. Right. So there's a lot of people, freelancers that want to like do more, maybe cinematography or directing or writing or whatever, have to moonlight it. Right. Yeah. They, they have their day jobs and they have to show up for the day jobs. It's yeah. nine to five. Um Talk to me about how you were able to negotiate with the school, I'm assuming. Hey, I'm going to take uh, six weeks off to go make this movie. So the way things worked, that broke down in the department, is I was the senior directing instructor. I had a full-time instructor, and my full-time instructor would take over my responsibilities while I was gone. Um, how lucky. Yeah. <laughs> How'd you do that? Uh, well, I mean, I just, I trained him up, you know, and then over time, like I could tell I was burning him out. So I started to train up some other instructors to cover me as well so that he wasn't, you know, didn't have two complete jobs to do. It would be like, okay, well it was a little puzzle. We would like take some of his responsibilities away, give it to a part-timer so that he could take some on some, some of my things. Um, but the, the nature of these movies is that like, I usually don't find out I'm doing it. Like, it's usually like I get a call and then the next day I'm location scouting. So it's always a scramble, right? And it's never, it's never great, right? So, and I was doing it over, like it just would get really busy in the summertime. And uh, the last, the last movie I did before I quit, um, I got flown out to Winnipeg. And so something I was doing, if it's in Vancouver, I would prep and do post while I was still working at the school. Yes. I would only take the days of the shoot off. But when it started to become location things, like going off to Winnipeg or Kelowna, um, I couldn't. I had to take prep and post. So I'd be gone for long periods of time. And it was usually like just throwing people in to cover things like wherever I could. And uh, yeah, the last, the last show in Winnipeg, just a bunch of stuff fell apart because people were not prepared to take on my responsibilities. So it wasn't that, it, it, things just kind of fell apart and I wasn't there to fix them. And so my boss got a little, I don't know what the word is, um, stern <laughs> with me when I returned. And I just, I realized in that moment that like, it when another movie comes and it's it's probably going to come, I would probably be leaving on bad terms. And I did not want to leave that job with a bad legacy because I was very proud of the work that I had done there. I was proud of the curriculum yeah, that I built. the connections you built over 17 years too. You know, yeah. it's just like you, you, you want to leave on good terms if at all possible. Yeah. yeah. So I just, I, I kind of went home. I was feeling kind of bummed out about, you know, he had said that, you know, it feels like they're like the very last priority for me right now. And I was just like, and that hurt to hear because I feel like I'm always giving 110% of myself to everybody all the time. Right. And I don't like, well, I don't want anyone to think I'm doing a half-assed job, no matter what it is, whether I'm following my passion or, you know, just, I want to, I want to, you know, be good at it. Yeah. So I came back in and I was just like, I think I have to leave. Um, but I didn't know where the next movie was coming what from. What did you say? You told me what you wrote in your email and it was so funny. You got to be a little <laughs> more specific about it. Cause I, I can't remember. I can't say verbatim. What, what did you say? Oh God. I was, uh, well, I mean, I think it went in and he was talking about, you know, we have to find a solution to this problem. Right. Uh -huh. and, and I felt like he was going to say that the solution is I'd not take on as many movies is kind yes. of where the conversation I was going. And uh -huh. I kind of, I just stopped him. I was like, said, no, the solution is I resign. <laughs> You wrote that in an email. Oh, no. I, I, I told well, him, that right? was in person. 
<laughs> I wrote a very professional resignation. Okay, great. But you said, I got it. I, I, I found a solution. It's that I resigned. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> great. Win-win for everybody. Yeah. Everybody wins. Um, yeah. And so, and then I, and then I left and then it was like uh, an immediate panic attack mm-hmm. because yeah. I have a mortgage. I, you know, been directing four or five movies a year and had a full-time job. So like I was making enough money that I could go on regular trips. And I was like, I didn't ever check my bank account for like, I was just, if I wanted something, I would buy it. And now suddenly I, I'm going to have a budget. Right. And so, you know, and, and, and I just, I didn't know, didn't know where the next movie was coming from, but it was hilarious because, um, I think, you know, a week I did my two, my final two weeks, we had my goodbye drinks. Right, and everybody showed up, and they're like, "Good luck, yeah, <laughs> good luck out Nick, there." Nick's gonna try and go freelance yeah. for a little bit. He'll be back. Yeah, he'll be back. Uh, and then, like, literally the next day, I got an email um, from one of the, the producers on the show that said, "You know, like, are you busy right now? This thing might be coming up." And uh, I was like, "I'm not doing anything." And they sent me the script, and it's like hands down one of the best scripts I've gotten in it's the last such a like good four script, years. Man. It's I'm, so good. When I, I was so excited when I read the script, especially because yeah. we were coming to Panama, and I was just like, "So we're so for those listening, we are actually in Panama right. We're in my hotel room in Panama right now. We just wrapped an early day shooting at one of the most incredible locations I've ever shot it in my life, and it's like." Yeah, so so here you are, man. Like you you quit your job, and what happens? <laughs> and then and then I went and got a haircut, and I got a call that it was actually happening. And fourteen hours later, I was on a plane. Yeah. And then yeah, we arrived twenty hours later, and then I had like a day to catch up on sleep, and then we were like shooting the next day. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and how's it going? It's going fucking awesome. Yeah. It's a beautiful movie. The cast is incredible. Yeah. Um. We're having fun. I'm having a great time. Yeah. And, yeah, and I don't always have a great time. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I'm making movies, you know. It's like, of course I do. Like, I, I, always, I always enjoy it. Yeah. But sometimes it's grueling, and sometimes it's hard, and sometimes you forget to have fun because it is so much difficult work. But it's just like, even though it's, it, we're, we're working, working hard, we're, I'm having a great time. Yeah. You know? Well, it's also no guarantee that you're going to land. I mean, I didn't know... Anybody on this crew? I mean, there's a couple of familiar faces. I knew I knew I'd worked with our costume designer before, and uh, one of our producers I'd worked with before. But like all of the creatives I'm working with for the first time, and there's no guarantee that you guys are gonna be cool. I like I don't know. You're <laughs> no, I mean I, I had to, LA types. This was one of the first times I had to like find like an entire crew locally. You know what I mean? And so it's like, and like like I I came up lighting, and so I like I'm I'm okay lighting like if someone sets up a c-stand wrong i can be like no you set that up wrong or if they put a light in the wrong place i can be like no that's wrong the thing that worries me always about this is a first ac (laughs) it's like someone that actually makes sure things are in focus it's like you can't just teach someone to keep things in focus and yet but somehow (laughs) by the grace of god we landed the greatest focus puller in probably central america he can't miss he can't miss dude he cannot miss edgar I'm going to make you listen to this podcast because I'm sorry we're speaking English super fast, but uh, you're the best. You're yeah. like the greatest that Central America has, and we'd be honored to have you uh, on any film anytime. He's incredible. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. But no, so, but I, I agree with you. You're coming, in, you're coming in blind. You don't know how it's going to go, um, but we're making this movie, and it's beautiful. It's a, it's a really great experience. What else is going on in your life right now since you quit your job? Um, well, so there's this interesting thing that happened where there was a couple of meetings that I was trying to get with like different companies um because i'm trying to trying to expand just the pool of people that might hire me because there was a company that was hiring me a lot in vancouver that has closed their vancouver office Mm -hmm. you know they're they're minimizing their slate i don't think they're closed down entirely but they're making a lot less tv movies than they were so i can't count on them and i can't just count on this company even though like i mean these people are so good for me the head of the company fights for me on stuff like i know if the jobs are there you know He'll get me on them, but I can't count. I need to expand my Rolodex of, of companies. And so I've been trying to get some meetings, but when you're like, oh, I'm always available, everyone's going to take their time getting back to you, mm. right? But, you know, when you send them an email, be like, hey, just so you know, um, you know I'm going to have to put off scheduling meeting with you because <laughs> I'm going to be in Panama shooting a movie until this date. Suddenly, everybody kind of like scrambled for the meetings, right? It was like, oh, okay, well, let's book one as soon as he's back because, you know, he's busy. Would you, he's doing things. would you, and I'm not saying that you, anyone should do this, but I'm curious with this bit of information, 
would you engineer something like that? I would recommend it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now that I have that information, I'm I'm not yeah. above. So engineer scarcity. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. I think that's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, for those wondering, I'm no longer available for that meeting we talked about. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have to, you're, you're gonna have to talk to my my secretary uh, if you want to schedule a meeting. Yeah, I think I have a window yeah. in like three weeks between <laughs> these two things. Oh, so so you're also nominated for a uh, yeah a, a Leo Award. That's yeah, right. it's like yeah. the Western Canadian uh, Film and Television Awards. How that happened? For what? So I did a movie. I did a TV movie. Oh, actually, last summer I did three movies back to back. I did a rom com in Kelowna, and then I came two weeks later. I was doing uh, my first book adaptation. Uh, it's a movie called The Shell Collector, uh, and then two weeks later I did a horror movie for uh, Tubi uh, called Trap House, which is I think they're announcing today like i saw it on the list of things coming out in june so that one's coming out awesome. but the show collector came out like right away and it was like on what network what was that on uh that one was on fox nation that's in right the US. that's right yeah that was interesting for me uh and then uh uh super channel in canada right after Tucker um, Carlson. yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, Nancy Grace interviewed the uh, the uh, star and uh, the writer of the book. Uh-huh. So that was that was it. Was just <laughs> it was an interesting experience. Yeah, I don't know. I just uh, you yeah. know what they paid you the, the check cleared. They did, and you know it was a beautiful movie about grief and mm-hmm. recovering from grief and how the way to recover from grief is through love. And you know it was based on a really beautiful book. And there's some. It's kind of like. You know, I would say it's like Hallmark adjacent in that it's like a romance, but it's dealing with some really heavy, real human condition themes. And so that doesn't sound very Hallmark at all. No, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> everything but real, real human condition themes. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's <laughs> but it's there's a one scene where this like this elderly woman knows that she's going to be uh, dying of cancer and she's going to her sister's place to basically, you know, to, to live out her final days. And she's telling this man who's been her best friend her entire life and he's been in love with her his entire life. And it, we had these two actors who were just like, I think, you know, probably in their like 60s, the top of their game. Wow. And and people in that demographic don't always get to have th- that kind of meat to chew on. In a, in a, and, and as soon as you give it to him, it was just like, boom, like the entire, we shot that scene everybody on the crew was crying. Ugh. Like the focus pullers like blinking through tears, right? Like everybody <laughs> like, was in tears. Oh my gosh. Like ugly crying. So we sent that scene in. Yeah. Um, or I think my agent sent that scene in because um, I didn't put this in. Yeah, so like the day before, uh, the day that I was leaving actually, the night, it was like three in the morning, I got a message from a friend because the announcements had gone up for the nominations. And so that's going to be a handy thing because like, you know, I get to go to that award show. I get to walk the red carpet. I'm going to be sitting at my agent's table. She's going to know all of the producers in town. She can introduce me in person. Like, whether I win or not, it doesn't matter. It's how'd just you, like... How'd you get an agent? Oh, so I had originally had an agent that came... Agents are hard. Directing agents are hard to land, in right. my experience. Yeah. Um, I had had one. The first one I got was representing uh, the other producers of that web series. Or the other director on that web series, I think. Do they come to you after the hype of getting a million views in 24 hours or whatever? whatever. Yes, that one came to me. And then we ended up kind of parting ways because I was was a small fish on her roster. Like she represented all the big directors in town and it was just very hard to get me work. And so she was just like, you know, goodbye. Um, And then I think it was my second feature... So I, I had sent out like cold emails to people going like, hey, you know, I'm unrepresented. I have a couple feature film credits. I need a, I need an agent. Zero response. Not even a like thanks, but no thanks. Just like crickets. And then when I did my second feature, there was a bunch of actors that were from one agency uh, in town um, just by chance. And one of the actors uh, was like, do you have a directing agent? And she said, I think someone at my agency represents directors. So she introduced me to her agent who then introduced me to the directing agent. And then uh, we went for uh, tea. 
she's English. Uh, and, uh, and she didn't have anybody like me. Like she didn't have any, any horror directors. I think she, most of her people that she represents, I think she represents a lot of female directors. Yeah. Um, but we just, we got along. And so she took me on before I was making money and I'm forever grateful to her. And I'm so excited that I get to make her money now because she's <laughs> stuck with me. Um, I love that. It's, for a it's, long it's, time. It has to be symbiotic. Yeah. Right? It's just the relationship. Yeah. And I just, I, I just love her to death that she, she, she looks out, you know, for my best interest. She makes sure that I get, you know, you know, the whatever economy class seating when I'm on flights or not economy. Either, <laughs> I'm like, I hope yeah, yeah, go. Well, well done. You should make sure you get economy class. Not that I'm not an economy class. You're not checked in the luggage hole. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> wow. What an agent. <laughs> Sorry. She's, I'm sure she's amazing. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. Um, yeah. And like per diems and shit like that. Cause like, if it was me, I'd be like, Oh, do it for free. Like yeah. I love it. Right. So, um, it's, yeah, she's, she's good to have. Cool. So so what's are, are what's coming up, man? Are you are you nervous at all that you've quit your job, or are you excited? Talk to me about how you're feeling right now. I was more nervous um, because I refused to believe this thing that people were telling me that when you make room in your life for opportunities, that they will come, and that sounded like airy fairy bullshit that I wasn't going to buy into because I have a very real mortgage that I have to pay every month, <laughs> and I, I wouldn't buy it. But like. Man, literally 24 hours after my goodbye drinks at my day job, I got the email about this gig. And I think there's another one coming up um, in July uh, in, a, in Winnipeg. Might may or may not happen, but um, it's sort of something that I guess I, I would say I'm on hold for. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm going to just continue to contact the, the contacts that I do have and, you know, just let them know that I'm available from this month to this month right now, if you're looking for a director, it's a limited time only. Uh -huh. Now that, you know, yes. you know scarcity, scarcity is a good thing. Um, Amazing. Yeah. We've got a couple pitches coming up. Um, yeah. It's so, and, and we'll see, we'll just play it by ear. What I predict is going to happen is that it's going to be a very busy summer. I think I can crank out another two, maybe three movies this year. I guess the bottom line too, I guess the question I, I want to ask is, are you going to be happier? Yes, because I want to work less. Like I can work hard in spurts, right? And, and I love this, but like the thing that was, the challenge about teaching film to rich kids <laughs> <laughs> is that, you know, occasionally you get lucky, right? And there's like two or three students in the class that like understand that they don't know everything, and they, but they really, really want it, and they're gonna do whatever it takes to get it. And even if they are talent-free, I will give them 100% and I will find it fulfilling. Yep. Um, but that's not, a, it's not normally the case, right? Like sometimes you're just standing in front of a room giving everything you've got to these kids that are on their fucking laptops watching movies at full volume, you know, and it's, it sucks, right? And, and they, you know, part of the things that, one of the things that was driving me nuts about that position was I was the mentor for the students on their final projects, right? And 99% of the time, they would treat it like this obligation, right? Because they had to have two meetings with me before they go to picture. When I had a student that was like, I want to have 10 meetings. I have all these, I want to go through it bit by bit. I'm like, you have, you have me in my entirety. I'm going to be here to support you. But that was never the case. Like it just, it felt like over and over and over, you know, just like, uh, we're supposed to have this meeting. Um, you know, uh, do I have to do anything for it? And I was like, no, fuck you, man. Like I'm busy. Yeah. I'm not like. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to do anything. Yeah. Go fuck up your movie if that's how you're going to learn. <laughs> like maybe me who's directed like 200 short films and has, you know, 13 features now under my belt. Like maybe I might have one thing in our hour long meeting that might, you know, help you make a better short film, your first short film with that amount of resources. Like maybe I might have some useful information for you, mm -hmm. but it just, I felt like that was not the, like it. Yeah. yeah. I found it very frustrating. So now I get to focus on my dream instead of like fulfilling, helping other people who don't want not it. Not even their me. students. It's their parents dream for the students half the time, most of the time, you know? So it's like, yeah, yeah. no, that's great, man. Uh, I'm excited for it. I think I think um, you're talented, you're successful, uh, and I think it's only going to get better. Thank you. So, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. Is there anything? How about this? Any any uh, piece of advice you got for young creatives, young artists starting out? 
Yeah, you know, not even not even necessarily in the film industry, just the artists in general. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I'm going to tell it with an anecdote um, because uh, when I was in my early twenties, uh, I did the Camino de Santiago in Spain, which is a 500 mile hike across Spain from the south of France to the coast of Spain. Takes about a month, right? Takes about a month. Yeah. And I remember starting that trip, and there was a sign. Once we cleared the Pyrenees Mountain, we survived the Pyrenees because we were like, oh, there's going to be a Starbucks or something. No, there was not. We were starving uh, for like a day and a half. And we got to the other side, and there's a sign that says 500 miles to Santiago. And I remember thinking like, well, there's no way we're actually walking 500 miles. Like, we're going to take a cab. We're going to, you know, take a train back. Like, we're not actually doing this. But like, we woke up every single day and we walked for 10 hours a day and we just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And eventually we got to Santiago and, you know, people do that hike for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's, you know, it's an ancient uh, Catholic pilgrimage and people do it for spiritual reasons. Some people do it for sport. For me, I got dragged along on it, but you know, I realized I was like, here was this thing that I thought was impossible that all it took was me just heading in the same direction consistently for long enough that eventually I'll get there, right? And so that has trickled into my career, into my, my you know, losing weight and getting fit because I used to be like pretty heavy. Um, it's just, yeah, no, it's, it's, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Eventually you're going to get where you're going, right? You just have to outlast everybody else trying to do the same thing. You just keep going, right? Um, don't have a plan B because it's always going to be easier to rely on your plan B. Um, if you do have a great plan B, go with the plan B because <laughs> it's not going to be easy. Um, but the other thing that I learned, you know, from that hike was that, you know, the, the destination was the journey. Like when we got to Santiago, it was kind of underwhelming. It was like a 500 year old. So, so the, des the destination, so the journey is the, is a, yeah, the destination isn't the journey, right? The, the, the journey, journey is, is the destination. destination. That's there what we I'm go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the destination is the journey. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, the, de the journey, what was it? The journey is this. The journey is the destiny. The journey is what's going to give you stories to tell, right? And the thing is, like, eventually, you know, you hit a goal, and there's going to be a new goal after that, right? And right. then after that. So it's just like, enjoy. enjoy it. Have fun along the way. I'm living for this right now. Like, this is, this is exactly what, this is why I do the podcast. It's not for you. It's not for the audience. It's literally for me. Because, like, <laughs> like I feel this so hard right now that I just have to remind myself, like, you're never going to be Roger Deakins. So calm down. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I hear you. Yeah. Calm down. Enjoy shooting this cool movie in Panama with cool people yeah. while you can because I'm having a great time. Me too. Nick, thank you so much for being here, man. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Yep. Thank you guys so much for sticking around to the end. If you made it this far, then you're a super fan, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. And since we're all on the same page, if you guys would do me a favor, and like I said, share this either on social media or with a friend, it does wonders, and it makes me feel good. I get that dopamine hit we're all looking for, right? So anyway, see you next week, guys. Thanks. Thanks.